This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This is episode 165. My name is Tim. I'm going to be your host for this one, but joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going? Hey, Tim. Um, you know, I've I've been wondering about something, right? Um, I was just wondering, like, y- you guys on the mainland, when you guys were kids, w- what did you guys do? for fun like with your friends and stuff well we actually did a lot of outside <laughs> playing yeah. really. we did playing baseball catch rollerblading we did a lot of rollerblading back in the <laughs> mid early mid to mid 90s yeah and just playing different sports like we had a basketball hoop in our backyard and just playing outside so did a lot of that and of course once we got video games came into the picture <laughs> no, then, then but it didn't fully yeah, didn't no. I wouldn't say everything. We still kind of had a balance of going outside and playing video games, too. So, well, that's kind of what we did. Oh, okay. No, I was just wondering. Is it was it a lot different for you in Hawaii? Um. Yeah, I guess. Um, because you know the the houses are smaller, so nobody really had a basketball rim or anything, and uh, the main thing was we couldn't. We didn't want to go to um, public parks, right? Okay. Because um, I guess just the way things are here is if tourists don't go there, it's not going to get upgraded. <laughs> mm, okay. So it's gonna, it was pretty run down. People would drink and do drugs and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So we would go to the beach, surf, bodyboard, uh, body surf, you know. That's cool. Yeah. Do you still do much surfing or? Uh, no way. I'm too, I'm too <laughs> old for that. <laughs> I, the, the last time I went was maybe like three or four years ago. Okay. Uh, with my sister. Not too long ago though. <laughs> kind of well, recent. <laughs> well, 
you didn't let me finish my story. Oh, because, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, she wanted to go surfing, so we went, and I um, just paddling out there, uh, out to the, the spot is uh, so exhausting. It was, I mean, I was <laughs> I was gassed, just paddling out there, and then you got to fight waves, and you know, um, we surfed, we went back, um, you know, went home, went to sleep. Next morning. I couldn't get off. My, my entire body was sore. Wow! So I was like, "Oh yeah, that's not for me anymore." I guess. I, but yeah, usually, like, yeah, feel like Bruce Wayne after a fight with Bane, huh? Yeah, except, <laughs> except I was just paddling out to, yeah. <laughs> to the surf spot. But yeah, just stuff around the beach. Um, uh, back in the day, the beach we used to go to. Um, you know, ever since these lists started coming out, like the the, the most beautiful beaches in the world, you know, uh-huh. started coming out, or most beautiful beaches in America started coming out. Um, well, before that, you know, there, there would be nobody, then no tourists, um, just local people. But now it's like, you know, it's, you can't find a spot to sit on the beach because it's, <laughs> it's, it's packed because people read these lists and, you know, they want to see it. And so, yeah, uh, I, I was just wondering, like, because you don't have any beaches. I mean, I know you're in California, but. Yeah, we went you know. to some beaches. I've yeah. got to be honest, not really much of a beach guy. Oh, really, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy that loves Star Wars and Batman and video games. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I guess I'll just quote Anakin here. I don't like sin; it gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of Star Wars, I, I I saw I saw your poll on the uh, Saga Continues podcast uh, mm-hmm. Twitter. I'm gonna have to go with Amphis Nest. That was the winner. I mean, yeah. the poll was like the coolest oh, new yeah. helmeted characters yeah. in the four new movies we got so far. It was Empress Nez, Captain Phasma, Death Troopers, and the Praetorian Guards. So, and man, Empress Nez, when the first poll went up, like the first 10 votes were all Empress Nez, like 100%. <laughs> I was like, oh man, she's going to dominate this. But I think the Death Troopers caught up. And boy, talk about hard choices. <laughs> I could pick easily three of those choices Phasma, Death Troopers, Empress Nez. All those costumes are great. <laughs> I, I still don't know which one I would choose. Really. I go back and forth <laughs> between Death Trooper and Captain Phasma mainly, but Emphis Ness is pretty close as well. I mean, so many great new designs in this, these new movies we're getting. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably Emphis Ness for me, um, followed by the Praetorian Guards, uh, Phasma, and then the, the Death Troopers. Really? Death Troopers at last, huh? Yeah. I don't know about that, Dean. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too hot on it, you know? I mean, I wasn't too excited about it the way you, you obviously were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, well, I, um, with The Last Jedi, aside, I mean, just the Praetorian Guards are pretty cool, but each new movie just comes out with a new design that I just, like, fall in love with. First it was Phasma, then the Death Troopers, and then later with Emphis Ness. It's just all so cool. I mean, that's what Star Wars is known for, cool-looking helmeted characters going all the way back from the yeah. beginning. The yeah, fact but, that they created these new designs and continuing that is just awesome to me. Yeah, but to me, the, I mean, the reason why I kind of put Phasma and um, uh, Death Troopers towards the end is because, uh, you know, they're kind of derivative 
of just a regular stormtrooper. Yeah, um, that's fair. Armor. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Praetorian Guard, but... Yeah, the Emptus Ness is definitely the most unique and new-looking design that they've come up with. I would agree with that. Yeah, they they have to do a movie with, with her. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> a solo movie. Well, it'll probably be for the streaming service, though. <laughs> <laughs> anything, but. Or maybe like an animated, animated yeah. movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I prefer something live action or animated but yeah i have a feeling we'll hopefully at least get a novel or a comic book adapted to and just get more stories with her and her group of uh, marauders or now rebels so <laughs> Man, that was such a cool twist i thought at the end of the movie yeah have them being part of the rebel a rebel faction i think it's awesome yeah it's it's just too bad that um i don't know i think if they do a fist nest um movie Mm-hmm. Just judging from what we've seen in the past, I think it's going to be like, you know, it's going to be F.S. Ness movie, but then she's not going to wear the cool helmet. <laughs> she's going to wear it once in the beginning, and then <laughs> you're never going to see yeah. it again. As long as she wears it for most of the action combat sequences, that'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the inside of that looks like, like the um, display. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like how Iron Man has the... All, all the cool lights and stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I wonder what, I wonder if there's anything to do with that. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be too high tech because like I said, they come like just from their style and equipment that they have and where they come from. Like Marauder doesn't seem like they have the greatest technology. I mean, sure there's some in there, but probably not something as advanced as you'd probably see in a Mandalorian helmet or Vader's even. Uh, speaking That's of, my guess. Speaking of Mandalorians. Oh man. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that show. It's not even, <laughs> out yet and i love it <laughs> right just that one image tim yeah <laughs> then i'm sold yeah and the director's list on there like yeah geez. <laughs> it's like one after another so much talent i mean dave filoni finally getting his chance to direct in live action is gonna be so cool i don't know if you saw just yesterday friday oh, where john favreau posted yeah. that picture of dave directing with like with lucas and him and Favreau himself standing together. This looks so cool. I'm so glad Lucas is there on the set. Just knowing that he's, you know, maybe not be involved with it anymore, but he's still there checking on things and I'm sure giving a little bit of advice to what's going on there on the set is just awesome. And just the fact that Dave Filoni is doing his live action debut and knowing where he came from with the, developing the Clone Wars with George Lucas and pretty much being George Lucas' apprentice, I don't think Star Wars, for Lucas to be there to see his you know, live-action directorial debut is pretty awesome. So, yeah, that was a really cool photo to get yesterday. Is the um, Resistance show getting any better or no? Well, it's only the three episodes yeah. there they showed, like, all in one day. Well, premiered the first one, then the other two are on the app, which I watched. And so I'm still waiting for a new episode <laughs> since <laughs> I saw those first two. But right. it, it is pretty much what I expect it to be. It's definitely for a younger audience. Mm-hmm. And... The only thing is that they're not really diving into the resistance aspect of it yet. And it's because it's going to be based on, of course, obviously that with the title and a lot of us to deal with racing, like flying ships and racing tournaments and all that. And I haven't got much of that. I was actually kind of surprised how, you know, kind of slow it was, even being more for a younger audience. You think it'd be kind of more fast paced with action sequences in there, but it's actually pretty light on those in the first three episodes. So. Um, of course, I'm still going to watch it. I'm not writing it off just yet. It's still fine for what it is. It's just not up to the level of Rebels and Clone Wars just yet. So, But I love the animation style. I think it's really, really cool and unique for it. But I, I really like how it looks. So I think it'll 
eventually get to that resistance, like first order conflict stuff I'm waiting for. So this might be a slow trek to get there. Yeah, it's like a, um, it's like anime style, right? So, yeah, it's not, it's, they always say it's inspired by anime, but I don't know if I'd yeah. call it an anime directly yeah. <laughs> style that they're using, but you can definitely see the influence that they're using with it. Well, you know, hopefully it gets better. <laughs> yeah. Well, if any big stuff happens, I'll let you know. Just yeah. when I told you to watch the Darth Vader Ahsoka fighting Rebels. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought those episodes too. <laughs> yeah, because well worth it. I couldn't stream it, so <laughs> I ended up buying it. Uh, yeah, well worth it. Yes, I don't think you're disappointed. Hopefully, uh, would would Ahsoka show up? She would, right? In Resistance, they could. Her yeah. stories at that time period is open ended. Yeah. Last week, did you see the final episode of the Rebel? No. Because what happened was the main character, Ezra, got, you know, these creatures called a Purgle will pretty much like have light speed built into them. That's probably what they got the light speed technology in the Star Wars universe. Ezra kind of sacrificed himself by uh, taking down him and Thrawn and those creatures latching on to a Star Destroyer and just going into hyperspace to like some unknown territory, unknown regions. And then it ended. There's like a prologue at the end showing what the characters were up to. And one of the characters... Uh, Sabine, who's a Mandalorian, uh, she goes off with Ahsoka to search for Ezra. And Ahsoka's kind of looking like Gandalf the White. <laughs> she has like a white cloak on. She has a staff. And so they're off looking for Ezra. So we don't know how long that's going to take. But that moment in the final episode took place right at the end of the Battle of Endor. So we know Ahsoka is around post-Return of the Jedi. It's just a matter of what she's doing and how long it takes for her to find Ezra. So they, she definitely could show up in Resistance. But uh, we just don't know. But I hope she does. I mean, yeah. we're definitely going to get more stories with her. It's just a matter of how and when. <laughs> and this yeah, that's series. right. I, I totally forgot about the, uh, the, the Clone Wars. They're, they're doing the, the final season. Yeah. On the um, Disney app. It's one of the many Star Wars highlights of 2019. It's going to be a big year next year for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Clone Wars, episode nine, obviously. Celebration. Who knows what new announcements we're going to get there to get excited about. Plus the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge land coming to Disneyland probably in summer. So, yeah, it's going to be Star Wars, you know, Nirvana almost <laughs> <laughs> around with all this great stuff coming out. I can't wait. Right. But uh, I you know we haven't talked about Star Wars on the show in a while, catching up with some of the big stuff going on. So that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> Even I though I talk did. about it on another yeah. podcast, I still love talking to you about it, Dane. So. <laughs> yeah, I know you do like five-hour podcasts and yeah. then you <laughs> – you do other people's podcasts about yeah. Star Wars. So in total, you've done like 15 hours and then you come on here and talk about Star Wars. <laughs> hey, you know, I can never get sick of it. Yeah. But something we haven't gotten sick of just yet is 113 minutes worth of commentary of The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and now we're going to move on. Well, I should say 112 because now we're on the 113th minute going to 114. So... Um, as always, go ahead and get your media formats that are still relevant today, like VHS, Betamax, Laserdisc, DVD, HD, DVD, Blu-ray, now because of 4K. But <laughs> people are still using Blu-ray. And also your projector, your Blockbuster membership certificate card, your Netflix physical media, and the greatest format ever created – your VHS to DVD converter, which <laughs> what we're using right now. <laughs> it's the only way. 
<laughs> yeah, the only way to experience true movie making. <laughs> it's it's the way uh, Christopher Nolan uh, wanted it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole purpose why he made the Dark Knight trilogy was yeah. for that so could be on that format. <laughs> yeah, he was the IMAX cameras <laughs> so that you you could watch it on HD. I mean, I mean, um, not HD. Uh, uh, your VHS to DVD copy. Yeah. I don't know why he never mentions that in interviews, though, when he's talking about IMAX cameras. He just seems to forget mentioning that. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> it's kind of strange. But. <laughs> but we are on, like I said, the 113th minute or minute or the hour and 53 minute mark on the player I'm watching. So if we're queued up, I'll go ahead and give the countdown. Are you ready, Dane? Yep. Three, two, one, go. As we're in that government control room, as Bruce Wayne is watching in horror as Bane hung those uh, government agents over the bridge. Yeah, again, did did they have like a cable line going into the prison? Yeah. <laughs> rabbit ears? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. should have looked at that TV a little closer to see if there was rabbit ears. I didn't notice it, but... <laughs> I mean, prison can't be all bad if you had a TV, right? But Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure most of the inmates there aren't as close to it as Bruce Wayne's cell is. I mean, that's literally all you're doing is watching TV all day yeah. if you're in that prison. And who knows how many channels he's getting. I have a feeling it might just be the Gotham, <laughs> the Gotham News, News. <laughs> <laughs> the local station. And Bruce is making another attempt at the climb. I, this is definitely not the climb. And that's where we'll end things yeah. as he's hanging from another failure attempt of making the climb. But will he do it next time? Find out. Same bat commentary <laughs> channel. Same bat commentary time. <laughs> yeah, because obviously people don't know if he'll make it or not. You know, you know, they got to try to stay spoiler free too till our next episode. So <laughs> be careful out there, everybody. But with that, we can go in and go into our feature topic for this episode. And this one is going to be another countdown topic that should be pretty fun. It's going to be our all-time favorite film scores. And the reason why this is something I kind of wanted to talk about is recently I've been trying to create like the ultimate movie soundtrack playlist <laughs> on my iPod. And this is going through what I'm doing is like going to I'm on Wikipedia like just type in the, the list of all films and year by year, I just look at all the movies that came out in a year. And if it's one I've seen, I you know look for the soundtrack to download and then, or a few tracks or even some that a movie I haven't seen, but I know it's known for having a good soundtrack. I'll take a look at it, listen to it. If, and if it grabs me, I'll put that on my playlist too. So it's a project I've been doing for a few weeks now. I'm up to the year 2008. So I got 10 more years to go. So <laughs> it's been fun, though, kind of going and listening to all these different soundtracks and trying to track down some that are maybe, you know, not readily available. <laughs> but I'm, so far, there hasn't been one that I haven't been able to get. So um, so after going that, I figured, you know what, it'd be fun to talk about on this episode some of our all-time favorite film scores. And I was thinking, oh, should we just narrow it down to comic book movies or genre films? But I was like, eh, just throw it all out there. Whatever film scores our favorite will mention. But fair warning, pretty much all my picks are going to be genre film. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> comic book, fantasy, sci-fi, and all that. So I narrowed my down to a top five. I don't know how many you have, Dane, but that's kind of what I'm going to go for. Yeah, for me, it's more like 
soundtracks that I actually bought. You mm-hmm. know? So sure. Um, not much to <laughs> select <laughs> from. <laughs> hey, as long as you like them, <laughs> that's yeah. the only criteria. So I'll start first with my number five. And this one is a movie I've seen forever. I've grown up, grown up, I've grown up watching the movie, but the soundtrack, there's always one song I always like, but now listening to it more, I really come to appreciate the soundtrack. And maybe it's just because it's more recent how I'm really getting into it, why it made my list over some other ones. But that's kind of what's my, one of my favorites right now. So I'm going to go with that. And that's going to be the never ending story soundtrack which, of course, is a film from 1984. Like I said, I grew up watching, and it still holds up really well today. And Is that a movie you've seen before, Dane? Um, yeah, when I was a kid. Mm. Um, don't really... Didn't really have a connection to it, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, because I've actually just... About a month ago, I wanted, I've always wanted to read the book, because I knew the first movie was pretty much only the first half of the book. And I was always curious to see what that other half was and how faithful the movie was to the book. And so I read or listened to the audio book of it about a month ago. And it was really enjoyed it. The, act, the movie actually did a really good job adapting uh, the first half of the book, uh, telling about Atreyu and Fantasia and Bastion reading the book uh, from the attic in his schools. A lot of the stuff that they encounter or that happened in the movie happened in the book with some omissions, which would have been cool to see. But um, the, the Technology at the time would have been hard to pull off, so I could understand why they didn't uh, use some of those sequences. Uh, like the introduction to Falcor is so much different in the book. He like has a fight with this giant swarm of bugs that can change its shape. It can be like a big spider or it can change its shape into anything, which would, they had a fight on that, which would have been cool to see. But um, So I'm kind of hoping that one day we will get a remake of the NeverEnding Story that kind of is more faithful to the book because of the technology you can do it. And the second half of the book is, you know, I would love to see stuff in that in a movie, too. They kind of did a little bit in the second one, but the second movie was not very good at all. So (laughs) hopefully we'll get that down the line. But the soundtrack of it is just so good. The main one of my favorites on there is a track called Bastion's Happy Flight. It's kind of like this perfect track that encompasses fantasy adventure especially when you're a young kid it just really grabbed grabbed me then it still grabs me now i just love listening to it so much and so that one is just sticks out to me just a great fantasy thing but then just what i've come to appreciate kind of as i've seen the movie as older and really getting into the soundtrack just the overall themes like the fantasia theme of the world is really good just the whole fantasy vibe i get from the soundtrack is really good. It's like a mix of fantasy and 80 synth style <laughs> on some track, but it just blends into a nice, really cool score that I'm really digging into now. So that one is going to be my number five pick, the never ending story. I think it's kind of underappreciated because you don't hear, hear it too much. And, and amongst like the fantasy and genre type films as having a really solid soundtrack, but I think it should be considered as one of the better ones, uh, probably not everyone's favorite, but I think it should be at least be mentioned a little bit more. Cause I think it's great. Uh, for me, I'm going to have to break your little, your, your, your rule a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it was one that I received for buying a special edition version of a video game. And that's, um, Bioshock Infinite. And you know what these um, video game soundtracks is like, okay, I mean, I guess if I buy the special edition, I get this, but I'm not really going to listen to it. 
Uh-huh. Um, this one is definitely worth listening to. I mean, for one thing, you have a full score, right? And then you have all these cover songs of these um, traditional American songs like Can the Circle Be Unbroken, Old Time Religion, Grand Old Flag okay. and stuff. And then you have these covers, these weird covers, because this, the, the story of the game is they, they're time traveling. They're opening up portals and they're going into different time periods. So they also have like, I mean, the, the, the game takes place in like 1912 or something. Um, but they, they have these weird covers like girls just want to have fun. And okay. <laughs> everybody wants to rule the world by, um, uh, what's that? Uh, Tears for Fears. And then God Only Knows by uh, the Beach Boys. And then they have Lead Belly songs and Fortunate <laughs> Son and Tainted Love. And, and you know, talk about a variety. It's, it's, it's all different. Like, I, I think it's the Fortunate Son cover, the, the CCR cover. Um, it's, a, it's a barbershop uh, quartet style. Really? Which is really interesting. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, it's the B Sharps version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that's um was really interesting <laughs> to say the least um so i'm i'm, I'm gonna say uh the bioshock infinite soundtrack that's crazy yeah yeah and yeah danny you are bending the rules but now you're making me think if i could pick video game soundtracks among those <laughs> wow it'd be i had to rethink my total list yeah <laughs> well, well i mean for me it, 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 it's when i get a video game soundtrack it's like oh i'm never gonna listen to that <laughs> but yeah for some reason i i listen to the um Bioshock Infinite uh, soundtrack. See, I'm going to be really old school here. As great as like video game soundtracks are now that are pretty much movie quality, yeah. I still prefer the NES 8-bit, Super Nintendo, Genesis 16-bit <laughs> sounds. I just love those so much. It just, it's probably more nostalgia than anything, but it just sound, takes me back to my childhood and just loving those games and the music there. Right, so I'm all about the old school 8-bit MIDI sound <laughs> when it comes yeah, to video games. especially that. Especially that uh, Batman... Uh, NES game. Yep. (laughs) You know me well. (laughs) But continuing on with my number four pick, I'm going into the comic book genre here. And this is going to be Man of Steel. And yeah, it's quite a feat, I would say, for me to have a Superman soundtrack here that isn't the one by John Williams. And the reason for that is John Williams' Superman theme will always be my favorite Superman theme. It's just iconic it fits the character so perfectly i don't think it'll ever be topped then you got like the love theme between him and lois which is really good but other than those two the soundtrack never really stood out with me as a whole whereas man of steel did where that just has tons of great soundtracks or tracks on the soundtrack i should say and it's just very atmospheric which of course hans zimmer does great with you know this and batman begins the dark knight trilogy it's just Really great songs that pull you into the universe and the story that's being told here. But with Man of Steel, I think even more so with the Dark Knight trilogy, there's just some really great standout tracks and themes in here. I mean, talk about a Superman theme that, like I said, it doesn't top John Williams' iconic Superman theme, even though I know there's a lot of people out there who prefer Man of Steel's theme. And I can't argue with that because it is great. So just the fact that he's able to create a theme that's entirely different than John Williams' Superman theme, but yet have it fit the character and is being one that can stick with you as well is, I think, a feat in itself. And then you encompass that with other great tracks on here. Like One of my favorites is just the opening, Look to the Stars, um, when 
we're on Krypton and just the music that plays when the birth of Kal-El and just the this music that plays when Jor-El and all the action sequences he's had on there just fits has that sci-fi feel to it, which is awesome. But then probably my favorite uh, track on the whole soundtrack is the one "If You Love These People," and that of course is the controversial and infamous scene of Superman snapping Zod's neck. But that piece of the violin playing on there as you know Superman is begging Zod to stop and you know to not kill those people, knowing what he might have to do, it just captures the emotion of it perfectly. And even leading up to that in that track where it's the final bits of the fight between Superman and Zod is a great piece too. And then moving into that emotional piece is really great. And then ending it on a fantastic track with, you know, what are you going to do when you're not saving the world that encompasses the new Superman theme? And it just really gets you excited. I remember at the movies watching for the first time, getting excited for what's next um, with this new Superman we were getting. And a lot of it had to do with the music that was playing there. So yeah, I had to put man of steel on here just for the feet of, uh, Hans Zimmer doing something truly unique and different from an already iconic Superman uh, soundtrack that, you know, every, in my opinion, I don't think anyone could ever got close to. And Hans Zimmer got pretty darn close. So I've got to have it on my list just for that. But it's such a great soundtrack, arguably one of the greatest, uh, definitely one of the greatest comic book movie soundtracks ever. And just a great soundtrack in general. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, the, the, the Man of Seal soundtrack is my next pick. Uh, didn't it? Didn't expect it to be that good because if you're going up against John Williams, I mean, how how well can you do if you're not doing a cover of his score, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I'll say it again, Tim. I like the Man of Steel score. I mean, uh, main theme better than a like the John Williams one. Yeah, you're one of those fans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was referring to yep. Yeah. I know, and because it's weird, because when Superman Returns was coming out, I was like, "Oh, they got to do the John Williams thing. They just have to." And you know, I'm glad they did. It fit, especially for the you know they were saying that it takes kind of in that continuity still taking place after Superman two. And I just think that Superman theme fits no matter what. I, I even liked hearing it in Justice League, even though that soundtrack was pretty lackluster as a whole. I did enjoy hearing that theme again. But for Man of Steel, I you know I knew there was. Big, doing something different with Superman here and probably needed a new theme, which I was okay with. I just didn't expect it to love it as much <laughs> as I would. So again, it's just such a testament to Hans Zimmer. He did such a great job. And number three for me, um, going to go with the Batman soundtrack. But this was one I don't know if everyone would agree with, but I'm going to go with Batman 1989. Because for this list, I just wanted to pick a soundtrack from one franchise. So for Batman, I had the choice between this or, you know, Batman Begins or the Dark Knight uh, soundtrack or Dark Knight Rises, but I'm going to go with Batman 89. And that might be some that scratch their heads on because I know the Dark Knight trilogy soundtrack is regarded almost as highly as the Man of Steel one by Hans Zimmer. But um, as I was saying about Man of Steel, how Hans Zimmer's work really captures the atmosphere and, you know, really gets you into the movie without really having, you know, melodic themes for the characters, which is what the Batman 1989 theme really has. And I got to say, I like as much as I love those soundtracks for Man of Steel and the Dark Knight trilogy and how perfectly it grosses you into the story that's being told there. And like I said, creating that atmosphere, um, I do prefer where soundtracks are just, you know, kind of that old school style themes and kind of 
stuff that really sticks with you. They're melodic, like I said, and they do really ones that I prefer and I like most hearing in soundtracks. Catchy themes that fit the character and ones that will stick with you for a long time. And Batman 89 does that perfectly. And in my opinion, better than no other comic book movie does. I mean, between the Batman theme and the Superman theme by John's, John Williams, uh, I always get in debates on some people on which one I, is better because everyone always picks Superman, but I got to go with the Batman one. It just, especially during that time, that movie, it just fits so perfectly. To me, it is still the definitive Batman theme. I love that it was incorporated into Batman the Animated Series. Uh, they didn't play it all the time in the series, but I remember getting so excited when I would hear uh, the the tune and the melody of Danny Elfman's classic Batman theme be playing in the animated series. Like, oh, they're playing the Batman theme. It's so cool. So it would always be my favorite Batman theme. And just the soundtrack in general, though, I mean, that's not the only theme on there that I like. It's just a really solid soundtrack. Um, one of my other favorites is, um, I forget the name of it, but it's, you'll know what it is when Batman is taking Vicky Vale, Vicky vale to the Batcave and they're driving in the woods. There's that theme that plays there that's really good. kind of has like that uh, that Danny Elfman tune that he's known for with a little gothic in there <laughs> fitting the Gotham City tone, I felt. And then other themes that cap, I think perfectly capture, you know, the mob and the action sequence there, especially the one in Ace Chemicals. I love that theme that plays in there as the cops are entering in, the Jack Napier and his crew are kind of trying to make their way out of there. It's just like this theme that's old gangster style, I feel, and fits the com- that comic book style uh, tone that I think they were going for in that moment. So I love that. And this other, other themes throughout, especially at the ending, too, is another classic, the ending theme. That plays that overture once the camera pans up to the sky. We see Batman looking up into the bat signal in the dark sky. Just, just great stuff. So the Batman 89 soundtrack, if I had to pick one Batman movie score that I could oh, – like I'm on a desert island. Someone gives me a choice. You can only pick one Batman score to take with you. I'm taking Batman 89 because to me it encompasses of the music stylings I think fits Batman the best. So that is my number three choice. Um, I'm going to go with The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, we just heard a snippet, if you had your sound on, of uh, of the great soundtrack. You know, the <laughs> chanting and, you know, the beating drums and stuff. Yep. Um, definitely a change from, you know, Batman Begins, going into The Dark Knight, and then we're going someplace different. So, yeah, that that's why it's my number three pick. Yeah, and i got to give more props to Hans Zimmer for just really making each score for the trilogy of the dark knight very distinctive and unique for each other batman begins has its sound and style the dark knight has its own with the joker theme that's very simple um and then also the dark like I said, the dark knight rises with the chanting and it all fits perfectly to the characters and the story that christopher nolan was doing there so i agree it is great even though i prefer batman 89 i'm not going to deny how great <laughs> those soundtracks are for the dark knight trilogy so getting into my top two here and these will probably forever be my top two all-time favorite film scores. And I'm sure you know what one of them is going to be, Dane. I'm not sure if you know what my number two pick is going to be. It's going to be... Wait, 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 Tim. Let me guess it. Okay. Your number one is Lord of the Rings. Your number two is... The Phantom Menace. Close on both. You got to flip-flop them. <laughs> really? 
Yes. Well, number two is Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it's going to be the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. That score is phenomenal. And this is some, something that, you know, like with Star Wars, you know, might as well reveal it now. It's not going to be a shocker that Star Wars is going to be my favorite and <laughs> number one on here. But which movie? We'll, we'll say that. But uh, just I felt with like watching The Fellowship of the Ring, besides being a great movie and just something is that when I'm watching it for the first time, like I'm seeing something special here. And a big part of that was the music. Cause it's a rare thing when I'm in a, watching a movie for the first time and the music really grabs me as much as I'm enjoying the movie where its themes are sticking out to me. And just the score as a whole was something that I know I'm going to remember even only after seeing it once. And I imagine that's how it felt for people watching star Wars for the first time in 1977. And I, felt this was like the first time in a movie I'm experiencing that I know I'm witnessing and hearing like a great soundtrack that's going to be remembered for forever. Pretty much. It's that good. The themes that, you know, Howard Shore created here for this fantasy epic is just phenomenal. Starting with the opening prologue and it's the Lord of the Rings theme that plays when you see the title, it fits the fantasy genre beautifully it can't get any better than this when you're talking about a score for a fantasy film it just nails it and then you get into the the some of the character themes like the hobbit theme is fantastic that just might be one of my favorite themes in all the movies i just love it so much it fits the you know the shire perfectly the, the hobbit characters perfectly it just fits <laughs> that's what i just love about the soundtrack somewhere and then you got so much and then you got the fellowship theme is this a great theme that comes on that plays you know, once they first come together, it starts out kind of subtle, but then in the first moment where you see all of them together, they're coming like there's this camera shot where they're all walking towards the camera as they're going up this hill on a mountain that plays the like the full fellowship theme for the first time. It's great. And you hear it throughout, whether in the Mines of Moria and the Bridge of Khazad Doom and this great emotional tracks as well. Probably my favorite track from the entire soundtrack and of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the final track, The Breaking of the Fellowship. It the movie kind of ends on a downer, but yet on a hopeful note as well. And that's what that track does. It, you know, kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit in certain, even if you don't know the context of the film, I think just hearing that will kind of has that emotional pull that I just love. And this captures the ending of that story beautifully. It's, it's just perfect. That's all the word I could just describe it. Perfect. And that's so rare for these, I think, especially genre type films where and nowadays where it's kind of hard to have memorable themes in more recent movies, in my opinion, uh, I, I really truly feel that the Lord of the Rings, especially the fellowship of the ring is like for me anyway, the truly last great, you know, film soundtrack that I've heard where for the first time where the, everything just sticks with you. I just couldn't wait to hear it where I had to buy the soundtrack right away as after, after I saw it, it just was that special. So that's always going to be up there as my all-time favorites and it probably will be at number two because my number one picking going away anytime soon as well <laughs> which is going to be star wars but you guess the phantom menace dane it's not that one any other guess yeah. before i reveal um revenge of the sith nope <laughs> uh, even though empires no not empire Uh, let's you got five more to go to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should say seven if you're counting the Star Wars stories film. I will say it's not one of those ones, even though they're say, great. Uh, the Last Jedi. 
Nope. Oh, am I am, am I closer or farther away? You're further away. Uh, <laughs> the original Star Wars soundtrack? Yes, that's it. Wow. It really? is a new hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's just something about it, despite being where it's where it all began and that's where all the iconic themes come from. That plays a big part of it. There's just a sound about it that I love so much. And I think it is the one that out of all the soundtrack has, you know, the greatest flow of it as far as the great themes and scores that encompasses the action and the emotional beats that come in the new hope too. It's just a flawless soundtrack. And like I said, creating these iconic themes for the first time, I mean, it's right off the bat, the star Wars main title. How great is that? Then you throw in princess Leia's theme, which is fantastic. And one of the best, pieces by john williams ever then you throw in my personal favorite probably out of all the star wars tracks and themes is binary sunset which is pretty much the force theme i mean man that track still gives me boost goosebumps every time i hear it this so so great <laughs> i mean it not only when you just it fits perfectly with the visuals of luke staring out into the twin suns but this when you listen to it on its own is just magical in a way. <laughs> I just love that piece so much. Then you throw in the great tracks for the acting sequences, uh, the death, the Tie Fighter attack on the Millennium Falcon. That's my favorite uh, Star Wars, you know, piece of music for any acting sequence. That I always love when it gets repraised. Like in the Last Jedi, they played it, and in Solo, they played it again. So, but I'm pretty sure they played it in Solo. Now I'm confusing myself. <laughs> if it was Ash. Because they played the Asteroid Field track from Empire and Solo. Now, uh, see, I'm doubting myself on it now. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> that TIE Fighter Attack song was in Solo well, as well. So I have to go back and check to see if it's on there. So, yeah, just A New Hope has it all, really. It's just a flawless soundtrack from beginning to end. And he's throwing the Cantina song in there <laughs> for something that's totally different. But it's just as good as some of the other orchestral stuff in there. So, yeah, Star Wars A New Hope is my definitive and all-time favorite uh, film score soundtrack and i know there might be some listeners out there who are big movie buffs a lot more than me who might be rolling their eyes or like oh these soundtracks are great for the genre films and i'm sure there's other soundtracks that you know are especially great and considered the all-time best for either drama films and some that probably won best film score at the oscars but uh these are the ones i always go to and always remain my personal favorite so yeah star wars lord of the rings batman Man and the steel never-ending story for right now like i said i'm just really getting into that <laughs> as i i listen to the audiobook so and just kind of absorbing that soundtrack more and more which leveled it up to my favorites but there's tons of great soundtracks in the genre that are like comic book fantasy that i just love i mean some other honorable mentions i have of course indiana jones by john williams i mean john williams has a bunch i could just mention in <laughs> jurassic park hook is another soundtrack i think is underrated by john williams that have, like captures like the fantasy adventure uh, tone is greatly as well and the back to the future and then uh, one of the more recent comic book ones I'll mention as an honorable mention that I really like was the first Guardians of the Galaxy film score not the soundtrack the awesome mix uh, tape that has all the classic 70s songs on there just the film score in general I thought was one of the better ones in the comic book genre that we got in the last few years so yeah, I'm surprised no mention for the the Prince Batman soundtrack yeah <laughs> My rule is it has to be film score. No soundtracks by like <laughs> artists or bands where they're singing in it. <laughs> I'm applying that to my ultimate uh, movie film score playlist as well. No like stuff like the Prince soundtrack and anything like Guardians of the Galaxy where 
there's songs on there that are associated with it, but if it's has to be just you know music only, no vocal tracks. Okay, so if if uh, Dave Grohl decides to do a soundtrack, <laughs> it doesn't count. If there's no singing on it, I'll I'll put it on there. <laughs> <laughs> it just has to be a film score with no vocal tracks on there. Yeah. Well, my my last two are um, Star Wars movies, Tim. Oh, so you're going so you're bending the rules again, going yeah. to two in the same franchise. <laughs> uh, did did you want to guess them? I will say, hmm, I will say, Phantom Menace as one of them. Yeah, you're correct. Because <laughs> I know, I I don't know if it's still the case. But I know you said that was your favorite prequel movie. So I and you mentioned it when you asked if it was mine. So I figured that had to be one yeah. that was. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say it is my favorite of the prequel soundtracks. I think it's yeah. great. Well, what's the other one, Tim? I'll go with. You know what? I'll go a little different. I'll say Rogue One. No. <laughs> Darn it. Solo? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going, maybe it's one of the Star Wars stories, but I guess not. <laughs> um, it is Revenge of the Sith. Mm, okay. I, I bought that soundtrack because I saw the music video <laughs> that they did <laughs> yeah, for it. Remember um, when they did that? <laughs> Those are good times. <laughs> what what song was that, that that they did the music video for? Uh, Battle of the Heroes for Battle episode of the Heroes. three. Right. Of course, Duel of Fates for episode one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, the Revenge of the Sith uh, soundtrack has the best ending song. You, you know, like the this. I mean, the song is the same like every Star Wars movie, right? But yeah, the, uh-huh. the, the the music leading up to it and then after it because it, yeah. it encompasses everything, all all of the major themes of the Star Wars movies up to that point. So. Yeah, probably Revenge of the Sith is my number two, and then number one is uh, Phantom Menace because that was probably one of the first soundtracks I ever bought. Um, now here's the question, Dane: Did yeah. you buy it before you saw the movie and got spoiled with Qui Gon's Noble End? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't paying attention, so uh, yeah, I, I bought it before, and then I uh, saw the movie. Um. Didn't get spoiled though. I guess I wasn't paying attention, or like, <laughs> I didn't know what a Qui Gon was, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so yeah, Phantom Menace is my number one. I mean, you can't beat Duel of Fates. Uh, that's iconic. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, this is, I love Anakin's theme as well on there. I think that's one of the best Star Wars tracks as well. That I feel is a little underrated. So I, you know what? I probably put Phantom Menace in my top three Star Wars soundtracks. It's really that good like i said one of definitely my favorite out of the prequels yeah. and revenge of the sith is great ones too i mean anakin's betrayal which is the, pretty much the song that plays during order 66 is fantastic and one of, another one of my favorite star wars tracks battle of the heroes is a, a great final you know theme to put in there for anakin and obi-wan's duel and but another one of my personal favorites the immolation scene where you know anakin's getting fried and burned yeah. up talk about a track that fits the emotion that it's supposed to be on display there between obi-wan and anakin it's just beautifully done so yeah, yeah isn't can't argue song, with those choices isn't the last song on revenge of the sith's soundtrack um called a new hope uh yeah 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 that's what i thought i just thought that was a nice uh, yeah i think called first of the twins and a new hope i believe yeah yeah i thought i i thought that was just a nice little shout out to um a new hope <laughs> yeah i mean you got to <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
when at that time was supposedly the last Star Wars film that we're ever going to get. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. So that's our pick for our top five film scores and I guess one video game score. <laughs> right, in there. right. That might have to be another topic we'll have to do eventually. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen. Be- yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to a lot of uh, video game scores. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but how, how how would we do like Grand Theft Auto, right? Because they have all the radio stations. That's true. Like, yeah. Well, uh, I'd so, pick so. I'd pick games just like I'm doing with movies. Only yeah. ones that have oh. original like scores and no yeah. singing on there, not licensed tracks. <laughs> so Mario, I think I, then Mario's your number one. Number two uh, is Zelda. Number three is the Metroid theme. Uh, well, number four got, is uh, Mega Man. No, I'm sorry. Even uh, though Mega Man has some good songs, but the ones that would definitely be my top five would be Zelda. But I don't even know if Mario would make it. But it's a classic, Mario. Tim. I know that's what I was gonna say. Mario might have to just be on there because it is the most recognizable, iconic video game music out there. Yeah, <laughs> but there's been some great scores. I mean, there's Final Fantasy. Oh right, like I said, Zelda, and then I love the Street Fighter soundtracks, Sonic the Hedgehog, Mass Effect, Kingdom Hearts, so many stuff. I'd have to kind of really have to narrow down (laughs) to do like a definitive top five. I could probably even do a top ten pretty easily if I wanted to. Um, uh, Now I'm now I think this has to be our next feature topic (laughs) because I'm curious, like. Like what your picks would be? They'd probably all be games that uh, that uh, were released in the late nineties, mid to late nineties. Yeah, you might be yeah. right. <laughs> I could, you know, I might have to expand it for a top ten because I could probably easily do that. So, okay, yeah. if no big announcements or news comes out, our next topic will be favorite video game soundtrack <laughs> scores, <laughs> or maybe like the the next one after that could be favorite tv themes right so like, there you go yeah like, like you could have the the animated series song mm, 66 Power Rangers, i guess yeah that, that's gonna be a hard um, one for me that might be my most hard one to narrow down yeah because <laughs> there's uh, a lot of great themes <laughs> pokemon i guess i remember that had a song um Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I have a playlist of that too, not as extensive as yeah. I'm doing for my movie ones, but I do have a TV theme uh, playlist that has quite a few songs on there that I like. So, <laughs> yeah, that'll be another one I have to do. It'll be a musical theme next few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Clone Wars didn't really have a theme, so. It had a main theme when it, the title card came up. Yeah, but it was just like a blast of music, right? It wasn't like a. Eh, I think it's not, it could be considered a piece of music on its own. But. It's yeah. taking homage from, of course, the main Star Wars theme, but it's different enough, I feel, anyway. Or what you could say is the, the um, cello at the end of uh, the last episode of yeah. Clone Wars. There you go. Yeah, that's kind of funny that, um, or I brought that up. Was um, That was the first episode. The, the last episode was the first episode that I actually watched on TV that I didn't <laughs> have to catch up on. Uh, well, so I think remember we were talking about that. That yeah. that was the first one, and you ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was the first one. You got to cancel, Dane. Yeah, got to cancel. <laughs> but it's back now, so no hard feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that does it for our future topic. But before we fully move on, want to read a couple of responses on Twitter. Um, 
for a couple of our followers who chimed in with their favorite film scores. And first up, um, Oliver Bourne at Bourne Scribe says, um, the Blade Runner soundtrack by uh, yeah. probably going to butcher his name, Vangelis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> okay. mean, that, that would have been on my, my list, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just one of those soundtracks that you listen to when you don't have to pay attention to it because it's, if if you're like really listening to it, it gets kind of boring. So um, you just need it as background music yeah, while background you're working music. or something. Ambient music. Mm, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. The, yeah. See, and I say this, I say this all the time because it's how Blade Runner is regarded as like one of the great sci-fi films and, it's still a movie I haven't seen yet, and I feel bad about it because <laughs> I've had people right. tell me I still need to see it. But I did. That's one of the movies I was talking about at the beginning, where even though it's one I haven't seen, I know it's held in high regard, and I listened to a few songs to put on my playlist on there. So I do know of a couple of songs, even though I haven't seen the movie <laughs> just yet. And so I will I say, can, Tim, I mean, like I like I said before, I I think Harrison Ford's appearance in Blade Runner twenty forty nine is better than. Um, the, the episode seven. Wow, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's saying something for me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, because it's just a different role. You've never really seen Harrison Ford like that. Isn't he not in it yeah. that much, though? He's in it um, in half of the movie. He's in the latter half of the movie. Okay, yeah, not as much see. as he was in Force Awakens, though. Obviously, if that's the case. Uh, if you take out all of the stuff, all of the stuff on the on his older um, ship, you know that uh-huh. with that big beast, I, I can't oh, remember okay. what it's called. Yeah, if you take that out, it should be about equal. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And there's there's like way uh, I wouldn't say the the emotional payoff is about the same in both movies. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, yeah. One of these days, I gotta watch both both of those films. I know. I've heard great things about Blade Runner 2049. I know from you and some other people I've interacted with. So yeah. <laughs> that's got to be put on my list for, you know, great movies that I know are held in high <laughs> regard that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, see. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen, uh, I don't know, what's yeah, like this... a classic movie, Gone with the Wind? <laughs> I have seen that. You have? Yeah. Why? <laughs> but a, wa- a long time. Well, oh. I shouldn't say. I probably I haven't seen the whole movie. This as a kid, yeah. I know my parents wanted to show it to me because they love it. But mm. as a little kid, it's kind of hard to sit through almost four hours. So, yeah. <laughs> isn't there information in that movie? There, I think there's like probably yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't seen Citizen Kane either, which is you know <laughs> held as the greatest movie ever. <laughs> uh, quite about, a few probably classics I haven't seen that I probably should. What about like something in the seventies? Like uh, I don't know. Like, I I haven't seen The Godfather. I know that's considered a classic as well. Can't get through them. I I, I just can't sit through them. Really? It's it's boring. It's so boring. I mean, I know it's supposed to be subtle, you know? I mean, Uh but I don't know. It's just so boring. It's like, okay, (laughs) like it's it's flatlining throughout the movie and then all of a sudden, you know, something happens and then after that it goes back down and it's just, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be subtle, right? So... But, I know that has a a good film score too. Hmm. Haven't really heard it. I know a few like the main Godfather theme I'm familiar with. Really? But yeah. Uh, I don't know if the rest of it stacks up, but I pretty think it's held in pretty high regard as one of the better film soundtracks out there. So Yeah. 
so yeah, I'm, there's plenty of classics I probably have to catch up. <laughs> That's why I never complain, say I'm like, a, what's the term, cinephile, I think? Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone who just loves movies and is obsessed with movies. As much as I love watching movies, I can't say I've seen like all the classics <laughs> and the ones that probably should be seen, even though or, I would like to. Have you ever seen a movie that's been remade recently that you've not seen the original? Hmm. Trying to think. You know what? One that comes to mind that's not recent would yeah. be probably The Mummy, <laughs> like the 1999 <laughs> one. I've never seen the old. Oh, oh uh, I, th- I thought you were talking about the, the Tom Cruise one. <laughs> oh, no, I was talking about I haven't even seen that one. I've heard that one. <laughs> it was really not great. Oh, yeah. I actually watched those not too long ago. I still like that 1999 Mummy movie. It's just a great, fun action film. I think and the the effects, for the most part, with the actual Mummy hold up pretty good still, I would think. I guess the the, the leading role thing didn't really work out with Brendan Fraser after that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's great in it. He, I thought he did a good job playing yeah. the lead action hero in it. But like I said, never really took off. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be in Doom Patrol next. So. Oh, he is? Yeah. <laughs> We'll see how he does in that. I'm sure he'll be good. Yeah. And then the last response we got is from Matthew J. Evans at uh, Busky Inc. On Twitter says, uh, Batman Begins. That score gets me pumped up. And like I said, when we're talking about the Batman soundtrack, it's hard to argue that is how great uh, that score is, even though I don't hold it as high as I do Batman 89. But again, it's fantastic. And I think, too, I could say the same when I was talking about Hans Zimmer and the Superman theme. Maybe not quite as great as that one is but his batman theme i felt was you know really good and fit yeah. the story and tone of the, of the character that christopher nolan was doing in that movie so again the same scenario with superman uh not my favorite when you compare it with the 89 theme but still great in its own right i'd say it's not as memorable as yeah even the dark knight or um or rises um or the uh, like you said the 89 or the uh, Batman Returns movies. So, yes, yeah, so you said maybe not super memorable, but when you watch the movie again and you hear it, you just go like, "Oh yeah, that's great." Yeah, <laughs> like you yeah, love it like, when you hear it. Mm. The, the nostalgia factor. Yeah, well, I, I wonder if anybody's like that for the. <laughs> I, I I couldn't pick it out of lineup, uh, but the the soundtrack for um, uh, Batman and Robin. Like, I wonder if so, anybody's okay. like, like, oh. <laughs> That takes me back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be someone out there you yeah. know, who grew up with it. You know, maybe grew up a little kid, liked it, grew up a Batman fan, that could see the problems with it, but nostalgia yeah. factor. There's probably something that he still likes going to and revisiting it. Maybe it is the music. You never know. <laughs> or like, so. like Batman Forever, you know. Maybe you hear the Flaming Lips song or yeah. something. And <laughs> it's like, oh, it takes me back, you know. Yeah. If that happens for the Batman Forever soundtrack. That's the Offspring song, Smash It Up. That's when I hear that. That takes me to the Batman Forever soundtrack. And <laughs> the Offspring were, were on that? Yeah. We're, but of course you got the soundtrack? hits like Seals, Kiss from a Rose, and U2's oh, yeah. Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. I think that's the order it goes. <laughs> Which I don't think is a bad song. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is Sunny Day Real Estate is on there for some They're reason. On there, yeah. <laughs> for some reason, it's like, okay, we we can have U2, we can have Seal, we can have The Offspring, and then let's throw in this indie band from Seattle. <laughs> I wonder how much was like artists who wrote songs 
specifically for the soundtrack and then just the record company picking songs from <laughs> bands and labels and just sticking them on there without yeah. <laughs> regardless if they're written for batman or not so i'm sure that's probably the majority of the tracks on there you know i've always been curious about how sunny day real estate got picked you know on that yeah. soundtrack it's like it doesn't make sense I don't even remember the song that was on there. If it like lyrically, if it fits with any themes from the I movie, or just, <laughs> I know. I don't <laughs> think so. Well, now that is the 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 U two song, right? Yeah. Or the Offspring. I mean, how does the Offspring fit with Batman Forever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of smashing in Batman Forever. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's that's you, you see, I I I never knew that uh, Offspring were on there. Yep. <laughs> I had that soundtrack, so during 1995, I listened to it quite a few times, so I'm familiar with at least half of the tracks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, there's a Nick Cave song on there. Yeah, I wouldn't remember there, there, that. There's a, a Method Man song on there. I remember that one. That's, is this the one that's actually called The Riddler? I know yeah. there's a track that's called The Riddler. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's called The Riddler. Um, Michael Hutchins from NXS. <laughs> The Iggy <laughs> Pop cover of the Passenger, uh, Brandy. <laughs> uh, yeah, she PJ. was big during that time. So oh yeah, that's not a huge surprise. Was that around the the same time she she was on the show? She had the show. That I'm not sure on. That. <laughs> probably somewhere in the '90s time frame. I'm sure. I don't know if it was exactly '95 when Batman Forever was out. Uh, massive Attack. Uh, <laughs> you never heard of Massive Attack, the alternative uh, British music. Might be, I have it. Maybe it's one of those bands where I don't know where I where I have heard of them. I just don't know it. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm not familiar with them at all. I think so. I think they're one of those bands. Um, Eddie Reader. I don't know who that is. <laughs> sure, it's not Eddie Vedder. <laughs> no. <it's> a, <laughs> Oh no, it's it's a woman. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um yeah, uh Sunny Day Real Estate band called the the Devlins. Yeah, never heard of them either. Yeah. And the Fl- Flaming Lips. I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's a cover by uh The Offspring. Oh, it is. Well, yeah. Who, who did the original smash it up then, I wonder? Uh The Damned. Mm, okay. The English punk band. Well, there's your Batman Forever soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, so in case you were wondering, <laughs> it also got a three stars on all music. Well, I guess higher than I thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes not so great movies have good soundtracks. The Godzilla soundtrack from '98 was actually pretty good. With, like, Did it have like hit songs like with with artists or was it yeah, like? like a- no, well, that's actually bands I like on like Foo Fighters had a song on there. Raging Against Machine had a song on there. Oh, really? Yeah, Wait, and Green Day had a remix version of Brain Stew on there. <laughs> it was like Godzilla noise effects, sound effects, I think. <laughs> Let me take a look at that one. Uh, Godzilla the album. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was called. <laughs> the Wallflowers, Heroes, Buff oh, Daddy right. <laughs> featuring Jimmy. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's featuring, right. Uh, Jimmy Page. Uh, yeah, they did, yeah, they did Cashmere, but like yeah, it was, the cover of that, or it was just the guitar riff from yeah, Cashmere. Right? Puff Daddy ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Raging Against the Machine was on there. Yep, that was uh, a good track. Ben Folds Five Days of the Oh, Moon. really? Yeah, 
It's called Air. Uh, Days of the, of the New uh, Feel. Oh, I remember that band. Yeah, I remember the, the like name too. Like, right? Was the was name it? Like, I'm not familiar with most of the songs, but I remember the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Foo Fighters A320. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs, really? especially when it comes to their like non-album tracks. But yeah. that one's one of my favorites. I love it. It's a long one. It's, it's five minutes. Yeah, it starts yeah. off with violins. It's kind of slow with like orchestra stuff in the background, but then it gets real heavy at the end. Like one of their, I think, heaviest outros. I love it. Uh, Green Day, Brain Stew, Silver Chair. <laughs> I remember oh, that's that right. Band. Silver Chair was on it. What, <laughs> what song was it? It's untitled. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's an untitled song. So, uh, band called Fuzzbubble. Fuzzbubble. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Uh, rock power group band from Long Island. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I don't know who these people are. Oh, I think still a good solid soundtrack of good bands from the '90s. I would say on there, definitely better listening to the soundtrack than watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's our film score discussion. So uh, thank you, Oliver and Matthew, for chiming in with your picks. And we'll continue the conversation with more music stuff, hopefully down the road in future episodes with video games and TV stuff like we talked about. So should be fun. But now we can get into our news and discussion topics for what's been going on in the Batman world these last two weeks. And first up, this one I've been anxiously waiting to hear your thoughts on, Dane, because we got our first image of Batwoman from the upcoming DC TV crossover event happening in December. Um, it's a picture of Ruby Rose in full Batwoman costume. It's kind of, it's a, a poster style where it's, it's not just a shot of her in the costume and like being taken from a studio. Um, it's her in the costume, but you got like Gotham city in the background with the bat signal flying in the sky. So it's definitely poster style and probably, probably I'm sure photoshopped <laughs> up a little bit, but just the costume itself, seeing it, what do you think, Dane? It's good. I I think they nailed it. I mean, it's you, you just have to copy the J.H. Williams <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> uh, style, you know. And I really like the, the. I mean, she's holding open the cape, and I, I like the design on the inside. That that wasn't in the comics, I don't think. Yeah, that's um, like original thing. Um, yeah, I love it. I like it. She looks good in it. So um, yeah, nothing bad to say about it. Yeah, this is what we were waiting for when we heard the casting announcement, the news that she was going to be in it, just how good would the costume look. And I agree with you. I think they nailed it. Yeah. I was, you know, they have a pretty good track record, like I said before, with creating some, you know, iconic costumes for the TV universe. They've had some misses on there, but for the most part, they've done a great job. And I, this might be their best one yet, really. Just like straight out of the comic book. They didn't deviate very much. If anything, it's really just a cape, but it still looks pretty cool in this image in here. So, yeah, can't wait to actually see it in in action when the episodes air. So, uh, hopefully, get pretty... um, hopefully she keeps it this way. I mean, uh, they, they keep it this way and, you know, it's not going to be a thing where it's going to be like, okay, now she's not going to do it with the cobble. She's just going to have a domino mask on. Yeah. You know? oh, we're worried about, oh, she's going to wear a jacket or something with yeah. the red and black. <laughs> with a hood on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, just keep it this way and you're fine. Yeah, exactly. And when you make it this good, you got to use it as much as I would think as possible. Right. And this crossover then in our upcoming TV series because yeah, they did a really good job with capturing the look. So, um, yeah, 
that's good to see one thing that we were curious about um, they nailed so looking forward to this crossover the more i hear about it the more it's gonna sound it sounds really really fun and exciting with what they're planning to do in on this crossover and jordan kind of gets into that in his email so i'll save that for <laughs> once we get to that portion but it should be fun and then also some more tv news um, we got the first bit of casting announcements for the pennyworth tv series where alfred and thomas wayne have both been cast in the show um alfred is going to be playing uh or will be played by jack bannon and then actor ben aldridge will be playing a young thomas wayne and once again, these are two uh, casting announcements that where I'm not too familiar with the actors in there, but in the images released, they look like they could both be good as both a young Alfred and a young Thomas Wayne. But they actually had more of a description um, with this casting announcement about what the show is going to be and how they're going to interact with each other. So it says that the show, of course, will follow Alfred, who is a former British SAS soldier in his 20s who forms a security company and goes to work with a young billionaire, Thomas Wayne, in 1960s London. Alfred is described as a boyish, handsome, cheerful, charming, clever young man from London. Honest, open-faced, and witty. You never take him for an SAS killer. Alfred doesn't know how to reconcile the kind-hearted boy he used to be uh, with the cold, calculated killer he was forced to become. He's a man on the make who doesn't know what to make of himself yet. And Thomas Wayne is described as a young, fresh-faced billionaire hailing from the East Coast of the United States, confident and extremely disciplined. This young aristocrat meets an unlikely business partner in Alfred Pennyworth. So, yeah, I know the series kind of been getting a lot of jokes lately about, oh, do we really need a series about Batman's butler? But I got to be honest, I'm looking forward to it. I always felt the concept of a young Alfred could be pretty interesting. And from the description here, I like you know, with his military background and also how they're going to incorporate him working with the young Thomas Wayne. And then, of course, obviously built to where he would become his butler. But everything in the description here, I'm liking what I'm reading. And I think it can make for a pretty interesting series. So I'm looking forward to it. But like I said, when it was first announced, how it's going to be on uh, Epics and don't have that channel <laughs> yet. So it's kind of, kind of in the same position as Titans in the DC Universe app not being available on consoles. So uh, we'll see when it comes out what I can do to maybe check it out. So it's sounding pretty interesting to me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for me, it's going to be a wait and see. Wait on the Tim <laughs> review. <laughs> of course, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, and then and then wait a season maybe because you, you know how Gotham kind of went where it was like they had their own style and then it was just sort of like, okay, it's going to be a villain of the week now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's going to be a wait and see, probably for the first season. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's a good enough time to judge a series and <laughs> its quality and how good it handles its first season. So I'll definitely be there to let you know. And speaking of Gotham, though, um, they put a trailer out recently for the next season, which most of it was really um, just recapping what's happened in the previous season and a little bit uh, before in previous uh, seasons. There was some new footage of the upcoming season, but I think the big reveal, not in the trailer, but in one of the announcements and press releases that came out for the next season was that, um, I don't know if it's the final episode, all of it, or like the very end, like the last few minutes, it is going to jump forward 10 years. And of course, that's probably where we're going to see Batman or Bruce as Batman in the show. I don't know if it's going to be uh, the young actor who's playing Bruce now. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> it's going to go 10 years. Uh, but... I will say that's the ending 
I've always envisioned for the show where the last shot should be Batman and Gordon, Gordon with a mustache, glasses, everything <laughs> on the GCPD rooftop with the bat signal shining out in the sky. I mean, that's what they got to do. I mean, if they don't do that, it's almost like, how could you not end it that way? So I am kind of glad to hear that it will be jumping 10 years by whether it's the final scene or the last few minutes. I think that's a cool way to go and a nice way to wrap up the series. So looking forward to not only that, but just the season in general, it's only going to be 10 episodes. So uh, hopefully they can wrap it up in, you know, I'm sure a satisfying way, but in the, crazy Gotham way that I'm sure sometimes will make me roll my eyes, but <laughs> uh, as long as it ends on that note with Batman and Gordon, I think it should be pretty cool. And then lastly was some kind of surprising and not surprising bit of news, but that is that James Gunn is officially going to write the Suicide Squad sequel with the possibility of directing. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but um, ever since James Gunn was fired by Disney and Marvel, I just kind of felt and I think everyone else did it was only a matter of time before Warner Brothers would come in and want him to work on a DC property and that happened I just didn't think it was going to be Suicide Squad um so I'm kind of mixed on this because you know I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and you know the fact that you know unfortunately because of those uh, bad tweets and horrible stuff he said it 10 years ago it came back to bite him when it comes to Disney and Marvel where they let him go of volume three but um, I'm curious to see what he's going to do um, in the DC universe side of things. And I was looking forward to because, like I said, we knew it was happening. I was looking forward to see what project he would be working on. But I was surprised that it was Suicide Squad. And the reason is it just seems a little too close to Guardians of the Galaxy and that type of uh, storytelling and characters he's going to be dealing with. You know, the band of like misfits who are going to come together and uh, not necessarily heroes, but they do the right thing in the end type of scenario so it just felt a little close to guardians and i was kind of hoping he'd pick something a little different amongst all the different dc properties and projects i'm sure they want to get developed so um but i'm looking forward to it still i mean a suicide suicide squad movie in the hands of james gunn i think could be really really good knowing what he did with guardians so um it's exciting but at the same time uh maybe a tad disappointed that it is suicide squad because it just feels a little too safe and easy for James Gunn for me anyway. Um, but I have no doubt he'll, if he could do what he did with guardians with suicide squad, we should be in for something really good. So it's again, it's one of those things that not surprising, but surprising by the property that he's going to be working on. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's such a bad thing, Tim. Um, if he does sort of what he did with, with, uh, suicide squad, I mean, um, <laughs> guardians of the galaxy, sorry. Um, the way that, you know, the DC movie universe is right now, the, mm-hmm. you know, the state it's in, I think they could use some of that Marvel magic, you know? Yeah, so definitely. Even if it is in the same vein as Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't see how that can be a bad thing at this point, you know? No, you're so, right. Yeah, just, yeah. I don't know, I just, I don't know, for the type of creator I think James Gunn is, I would thought he would want to do something that's a little more different and not be so close and similar to what Guardians was, but... Yeah, I don't know. But obviously, I was mistaken on that front. I'm not sure if how it worked for Warner Brothers came to him with Suicide Squad, or they said, what do you want to work on? And he chose Suicide Squad. I'd be interested to hear on how all that went down to see if it was his choice or not. But yeah, definitely something to look forward to. As Like I said, as much as I love the Guardians of the Galaxy films, and it could, with James Gunn at the helm, at least in the writing aspect of it. I hope he does direct it too. But I imagine it would feel weird for him too, moving on to 
Suicide Squad, and yet someone else is going to be taking over Guardians, which he really kind of put his heart and soul in. And even though he didn't create those characters, he made those characters popular and resonate with so many people that the comics never did. And now it's going to be in the hands of someone else, and he's on another comic book property. It's probably going to be a next uh, a strange and weird uh, next few years for James Gunn as he's working on Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three continues to get made. So, I wonder if yeah. um, uh, Bautista is going to be in it. Uh, did you see his tweet right after yeah. this got announced? He goes, "Sign yeah. me up," or "Where do I sign?" Yeah, <laughs> Something yeah. like that. So I think that's probably a safe bet. <laughs> But that's going to do it for our news and discussion topics for this episode. And we can move on to our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback with an email from Jordan. And I was got, got worried a little bit because Jordan usually sends his email uh, a few days in advance before we record. But he actually sent it just today as we were going to record. So I was a little worried we wouldn't have an email for Jordan. But I should have known better. He came through, as he always does, and sent us another email. He goes, hey, super friends. I was very saddened to hear the passing of Norm Brayfogle as well. He gave us so much uh, super iconic art. That art will live on forever in the pages of our comics and in our hearts. Definitely well said, Jordan. But on a happier note, I am super excited about all the Birds of Prey casting. I'm not familiar with uh, Journey Smollett-Bell, but I'm super eager to see what she brings to the role of Black Canary. DC has such a super track record with casting that even though I'm not familiar with her, I am fully confident in her killing it in the role. He's got a lot to live up to in my eyes, given how perfect I think um, Alana Huffman was as Black Canary. But I think she's up to the task. Mary, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, I'm familiar with from Sky High and The Spectacular Now. I can't wait to see what she does in the role of Huntress. As for Renee Montoya, I have seen Rosie Perez in several live action projects. But my favorite role of hers is actually a voice performance as the hilarious character Johnny on The Cleveland Show. I loved her on that show, and I'm super eager to see what she brings to one of GCPD's finest officers. Hey, Tim, have you – I mean, I don't know why I, this uh, – or what Jordan's talking about reminded me of this, but have you started the new Daredevil? Yes, I did last night. Is it only, good? Yeah, only three episodes okay. in. Kid. I got to say, yeah. it's it's a little light on the action the first three episodes, but man, the – character and the themes they're bringing up in these first three episodes some yeah. heavy stuff so <laughs> it's been okay. really good um so i started the first episode and i was totally lost so if you can can you give me a, just a light quick sort of review of what happened <laughs> because yeah. you, you just see well spoiler alert for De- daredevil season three and season two i guess well uh, actually not season two to see where you're lost is because of the defenders tv show where oh, all, all the marvel netflix okay. characters team up the big stuff happened with matt murdoch there <laughs> which okay kinda, so like j- just give me the the quick run through of what okay what so pretty much at the end of daredevil season two they teased that electra would be brought back to life by the hand well she was and in the defenders you pretty much the thread of that story was the head members of the hand, the five, pretty much five fingers of the hand. I think was the metaphor they're going with, but like all of them were the main threat of the defenders and they bring Electra back. And so um, in the very last episode, uh, Matt Murdock confronts Electra. They have a fight, you know, he kind of, she's like not herself. She's under their control kind of, but she has those memories of being with Matt Murdock. She's being pulled, you know, from being bad to good. And so in the last bit, 
they're in this building that was collapsing, taking down the hand, and Matt was fighting Electra. But he was able to like snap her out of it at the last second. They held together and embraced, you know, shared a kiss. But when that was happening, the building was falling down and pretty much crumbling on them, and they were going to be trapped in there. And that's where the defenders left things, where everyone thought Matt Murdock was dead, being crumbled by the building. But the very last shot of the defenders, we saw him in the bed at the orphanage where he grew up and where the first episode of season three picks up from. So pretty much things were set up in that last episode of where Matt Murdock was at. And I should mention, too, another thing that happened in the defenders that's pretty big. Uh, Stick was killed in the battle uh, with the hand in one of those episodes. So. So those are the main plot points you have to know going in okay. <laughs> to Daredevil season three. And Electra's status is still unknown right now. Yeah, yeah. Ha- have you have you seen the the um, one camera shot fight That's scene yet? Not or yet. Not I've heard okay. great things about it. Are you? Yeah. Did you? Uh, no, uh, okay. I haven't made it past the first episode yet because I I got kind of lost and okay. <laughs> I was I was I was waiting for you to explain it to me. Gotcha. So. I didn't want to like misinterpret something and then you know all of a sudden i'm talking about something completely different from what it's actually it actually is you know so um yeah so so i'm waiting i i heard it was really good uh hopefully it's better than the the season two one because it it looks really cool but you could tell where they cut and they patched it together you know see i love season two that's probably my favorite season of all the marvel netflix shows but i do know what you're saying how it kind of feels like two different things once the hand comes involved and mainly focuses on them because i my favorite aspects of season two was the punisher and that storyline i thought they did a phenomenal job a punish punisher is a character i never really liked in marvel comics but i this made me a fan of the character (laughs) this performance by john bernthal here is fantastic so that's the stuff i really liked about season two so, yeah, season three is off to a good start so far. But I, I just keep hearing it gets even better, so I can't wait. Right. But uh, Jordan continues on. Speaking of another comic book TV show, I love the second trailer for Titans, and now I can officially say that I love both the pilot and the second episode. You guys have to get the DC Universe digital service and watch the show ASAP. It, it's absolutely super, no matter what size screen you watch it on, Tim. <laughs> uh, I see you have a hard time watching new shows something that i want to see on a small screen not my tv screen maybe i'll have to eventually because who knows when it's going to be on a video game console i thought they would have announced something by now but so far there's nothing so i might have to (laughs) he goes i was completely blown away as someone who grew up on the teen titans animated series and fell in love with the team thanks to that seeing the titans live action for the first time felt like a lifelong dream come true i'll give my non-spoilery thoughts brenton thwites is super as robin it's fascinating seeing the character so so soon after his falling out with Batman, despite playing a version of Robin teetering on the edge. Brenton brings a ton of maturity and likability to the character. As I suspected based on the trailers, they really play up the horror elements with Raven, and it's terrifying. There's a super intriguing mystery going on with Starfire that I'm super eager to see unfold. Beast Boy gets the least amount of screen time in the pilot. But even in his limited time, I'm already convinced that Ryan Potter is going to be the breakout star of the show. He captures Beast Boy's personality to a T, and I had a huge grin on my face seeing Beast Boy's powers in live action for the first time. It's truly breathtaking. The second episode features a lot on Hawk and Dove. Smallville alum Alan Richardson absolutely kills it as Hawk. 
he brings the super entertaining quippy sarcasm to the role. Don wears a Superman t-shirt in the episode, which made me smile. The nuclear family make their live-action debut as the villains of the episode, and they're just as creepy as I ever could have hoped. I can't wait for the third episode. This show is absolutely super so far. Yeah, I'm actually hearing some good things about Titans, and you know, it's, it's making me thinking about watching it on <laughs> on my iPad. Um, which again, I said why I don't want to do, but uh, I'm getting closer and closer now. With I'll, Jordan is raving about it. He's not the only one I've seen who said it has been really good. So I've heard it surprised some people too, or not too sure about the trailers going into it, how it was. But it um, seems like it's off to a, a solid start so far. So I'm going to give it a, maybe another month. <laughs> we'll see. And I'll have a few, they'll have a few episodes by then. And then I'll have a few to, to binge once I do sign up for it. But come on, DC, let's get on those console apps. <laughs> it's got to happen sooner rather than later. You're probably the only person that wants that, Tim. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't have, like, the Rokus or the Apple TV yeah. stuff. Well, is it on Roku? I believe so, yeah. Hmm. Might have to bust out the old the old uh, Roku. I think yeah. mine had uh, um, the AV cables. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if my TV has AV cables anymore. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, maybe you better not. <laughs> or you I might have, to, uh, might have to upgrade. I would think so. If you're going to go that route. <laughs> so, yeah, once I do, I definitely got to do a review of Titans once I do see it because I'm anxious to see if it's as good as everyone's saying it is. But I've seen some that's saying, you know, it's not for them. It's a little too dark. That's kind of a detriment to it. But I don't know. Just got to see it for myself. I'm still excited to check it out because from what I'm hearing in those snippets I'm seeing of it, it's looking definitely much better than that first trailer. So I'll have to get on it soon. But Jordan continues saying, the Harley Quinn first look is hilarious. I really, it really feels like they're taking a lot of inspiration from the Amanda Connor slash Jimmy Palmiotti comics, which is what I suspected would be the case. I love the forced wall-breaking humor that we get in this first look. It is a funny coincidence that the two newest Harley Quinn voice actresses are both from the Big Bang Theory. It certainly worked out because I love Melissa Roch in Batman and Harley Quinn. And based off this first look, I love Kelly Cuoco in the role too as Harley Quinn. The fact that Diedrich Bader is returning as Batman has me super excited as well, as I think he puts the perfect Batman voice for this tone of the show. The rest of the cast has cause, or the rest of the cast has some more names that make me super pumped too. Former Superman Alan Tudyk is who I'm most excited about. He's playing yet another DC role following his stint as Flash, Green Arrow, Superman, as mentioned, Van Wayne, Reverse Flash, and his upcoming performance as Mr. Nobody. Given that former Powerless producers Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher are producing the show, it feels fitting that not only they are bringing Alan to their project, but also his fellow Powerless stars, Ron uh, Funches and Natalie Morales. I hey, found Tim, them all- who, who did the voice of Harley Quinn in um, Arkham City? Um, that was uh, Tara Strong. I think oh, that was her, yeah. her first time as Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's really Which, good. It's really, really good. I've... Well, I'm waiting for <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. And to pass the time, I've been playing uh, Arkham City. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's it's super good. I got to be honest, he's never been my favorite Harley Quinn. And I think I've said this before, but she's kind of become, like, the face or the the main voice actress recognized now as Harley yeah. Quinn and nothing against Tara strong. She was a great voice actress, but I, I think that's kind of unfair to Arlene Sorkin who 
brought Harley Quinn to life in all the Batman the Animated Series episodes and did a fantastic job and is still the best. I kind of feel that she gets forgotten about now uh, because of Tara Strong's performance. Yeah, I'm not, I, th- I don't think She's she done. retired from when Arkham City came out. They just wanted to go in yeah. a different direction. Oh, never mind. It's not that good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't let that <laughs> judge your performance. But. I mean, if that's the case, it's, uh, I mean, never mind. Because <laughs> I was just listening to, you know, just the dialogue. And it's like, wow, she does a really good job, you know? Like, she, I mean, it's what, it's what Arlene Sorkin did, but, like, she brings her own thing to it, you know? Yeah. It's a little yeah, more sinister. It's more sinister than uh, Arlene Sorkin's uh, voices. It's definitely like her own unique take on it. And obviously it's worked well for a lot of people. Like I said, she's recognized almost now as the voice voice of Harley Quinn. Quinn. So, yeah, just just not for me. (laughs) And I just wish (laughs) Arlene Sorkin gets more credit and respect as her uh, portrayal as Harley for being the first, creating pretty much the character that we all know know and love today. So. But Jordan continues saying, I found them all super hilarious on Powerless, and I'm super eager to get some more humor from them on Harley Quinn. Other standout names in the cast for me are Christopher Maloney, Giancarlo Esposito, and Tony Hale, who are also all making returns to the DC Universe after starring in previous projects. I especially really love Maloney as Colonel Hardy in Man of Steel, who's also the voice of Green or Hal Jordan in Green Lantern for his flight, which he did a good job as well. <laughs> I gotta throw the green lantern, you know right. that. <laughs> right. Everybody would know him from Law and Order or Man of Steel. <laughs> nope, Green Lantern first flight. No, green, <laughs> green Lantern first flight. And of course, you would know Giancarlo Esposito as um, uh, from uh, Breaking Bad. Well, much like popular movies, I've oh, never right. seen Breaking Bad. Is a popular yeah. show I've never seen. <laughs> So I'm not too familiar with it. But Jordan says, I love Esposito and Hale in their previous DC roles as well. So I'm super pumped to see what they all do in Harley Quinn. I'm with Tim on the Aquaman extended video. I think it looks super. I can't believe they gave us five whole minutes of footage to geek out over. Aquaman and Mara's banter continue to entertain me to no end. They have, they have super, I can read. (laughs) They have a super rapport. When I watched the video for the first time, I was in a public place and I very nearly shrieked when Black Manta lands out in front of Aquaman and Mera. The whole action sequence looks breathtaking. The other coolest shot for me besides Black Manta's arrival is Aquaman in his classic suit at the end. Just whoa. And speaking of the Lord of the Rings conversation we had last episode when Jordan was naming those actors uh, who were in Lord of the Rings and DC, he continues on that saying, not only has John Noble voiced Brainiac, which he did phenomenally, but he also played two other DC roles. I think I recall you saying you're not cut up, but Noble is in season three of Legends of Tomorrow, both as the voice of Malice and on screen as himself. Evangeline Lilly has cameos in four episodes of Smallville, those being Kinetic, Visage, Accelerate, and Delete. Yeah, I, like I said, I haven't caught up on season three on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, it's actually a show. I don't know how soon I will be catching up on it. There's been so much stuff and new shows coming out that some are falling by the wayside, unfortunately. But that's cool. He was in there. I mean, he has a great voice, and like, and Lord of the Rings, he can have a great presence there too. So that's cool. And I didn't know eventually Lily was in four episodes of Smallville. I thought this might have been one guest appearance, but apparently she was a character who had a bit of an arc in four episodes. Just like I said not remembering exactly as it's been so long <laughs> since i watched smallville 
And John Noble is the 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 dad that tries to like you're the yeah not he's, not the king right he's steward, the steward yeah yes. he he he's sort of like the caretaker exactly the, uh-huh. like he he has to make sure that the bills get paid right <laughs> and they still have a place yeah. <laughs> to to live on Gondor yes right <laughs> pretty much and eventually Lily is. She's in the Hobbit films. Oh right, yeah. I was thinking of. I I, I, of I got myself <laughs> confused with yeah, Liv Tyler and Evangeline Lilly. Oh, yes. w- w- was was uh, Liv Tyler? W- was she uh, or did she do Lord of the Rings before she did Armageddon? No, Armageddon was first because that was ninety eight. Oh. Lord of the Rings was two thousand one. Oh okay. No, that makes but, sense. I was just yeah. wondering. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was bored and I rewatched uh, Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie I haven't seen on forever, probably since it came out in theaters yeah. <laughs> in 98. So oh, but you ago. hear that Aerosmith song everywhere you go. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah. Don't want to miss a thing? Yeah. Don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. yeah. Now it's I don't want to hear a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that song. <laughs> it's so darn much. <laughs> what I don't get about that movie is, I don't know if you've seen it, Tim, but they they have these like buggies that have the um, the drill on them, right? Okay. But like, I don't understand why they have Gatling guns on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, count uh, encounter moon aliens or something. <laughs> Or no, but it's, asteroid aliens. <laughs> it's great if you ever um, if you're ever bored at home and you want something to watch, uh, go to YouTube and type in Armageddon um, commentary, uh, and then Ben Affleck because he he brings up a really good point on on the commentary where it's like you have like six months or six weeks, I think it is, to train you know roughnecks oil drillers to become astronauts it wouldn't it be easier to train astronauts to become oil drillers <laughs> right like yeah that is a very good point actually yeah. <laughs> he actually says that on the commentary yeah yeah like it, it's it's a pretty interesting commentary like i would buy was, the dvd to listen to that whole commentary was the writer of it and Michael Bay on there to like hear him say that and give their response. Yeah. Well, he, he, he said, uh, no, cause I, it's, it's just, I think it's just Ben Affleck by himself, but, oh, okay. um, he brought it up on set while they're filming the movie. And then Michael Bay was just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny though. Yeah. <laughs> But Jordan continues his email saying, we got two new DC movies released since I wrote my last email. It was only 16 years ago that two years, 2001 to 2002, went by without a single DC film. And now we're in the age where we get new DC movies in back-to-back weeks. I just can't help but feeling super grateful for that and felt the need to point that out. DC Superhero Girls Legend of Atlantis came out first, and it's our second of three Aquaman mirror-focused DC films this year. I thought it was super. There's a super fun storyline where Supergirl and Batgirl has swap abilities. Mera gets a super interesting storyline as she is manipulated to doing some nefarious things for some of the film. 
Tara Strong as Sapoli, Seth MacFarlane, and talked to herself for a lot of the movie as Harley and Raven are paired up, which is super interesting, a super interesting dynamic. Storm and Jumpa get a lot of time in the spotlight, and as someone who grew up on the Crypto the Superdog animated series, I always love when the Supergirl pets get or the Super Pets get focused on. A week later, Constantine, City of Demons, the movie came out, and it is super as well. It adds a whole hour of footage to what aired on CW Seed, which I already love, and the extra footage is super. It really showcases how cunning Constantine is as he pits different factions of demons against one another. There are a couple of super shocking twists, including the ending that is M. Night Shyamalan-level mind-blowing. The film is both super terrifying and super emotional, and its release was timed perfectly to come out just before Halloween. And you continue saying, we just got news that not only will the Kent farm appear in the Arrowverse Elseworlds crossover, but it will be the Kent will be the Kent farm. I should emphasize the it's all capital. <laughs> the Kent farm from Smallville. I am super hyped about this. The Kent farm in general is my favorite locale in the entire DC universe. But that Kent farm is in particular I hold so dearly. I just have so many memories attached to it from my favorite series of all time. I have a feeling that seeing that Kent Farm again in the crossover will give me a similar feeling to when we see Smallville High again in the Smallville episode, Homecoming. Seeing the image of Kara, Clark, and Lois all together on the Kent Farm just puts a huge smile on my face. In addition to this news, we also know that Tyler Hoechlin will be, sp- will be sporting a black Superman suit, and that we'll be seeing Barry Allen as Green Arrow and Oliver Queen as Flash. Based on the title being Elseworlds, and the fact that we're getting those swapped versions of Green Arrow and Flash, I think for that part of this crossover, Tyler will be playing a Superman from an Earth other than Earth-38, and that, and that it's a Superman who will be wearing the black suit. I think it will be such a blast seeing all those alternate versions of these characters. Anyway, that black suit looks absolutely super. That image of Tyler in the black costume, or the black Superman suit standing next to Grant Gustin and Stephen Mill has me geeking out super hard. And... Grant and Steven aren't even suited up in that image. I can't even imagine how much I'm going to be geeking out seeing them all standing together in costume. Yeah, like I was talking about, we're talking about the Batwoman costume and the Elseworlds crossover. A lot of the stuff I'm getting excited about was Jordan mentioned here with, um, you know, Superman and Lois being in it and that they're actually going to the Kent farm, um, which is really cool. And yeah, having it be the actual Kent farm from Smallville is a nice touch. And it probably is in the another universe. Or another Earth, I should say. And I'm hoping that it's something where they take inspiration from the re- recent uh, Peter Tomasi Superman run from Rebirth. Where Lois and uh, Clark are married. They're living on the Kent farm and they have their son John Kent. I think that'd be cool if they bring him into it. Especially if it is in Elseworlds. It'd be a cool little nod to do. So excited to see that aspect of it. And then just a few days ago when Stephen Amell sent out that official poster image of him in the Flash costume and Grant Gustin in the Green Arrow costume <laughs> was pretty pretty fun, I should say. Seeing Stephen Amell with his beard with the Flash mask and cowl, <laughs> it was it looked pretty funny. So it's going to be interesting to see that play out where they're both swapping roles. So you throw those elements in there and then got Batwoman, it should be a pretty fun Elseworlds uh, crossover story this year. I'm excited for it, but I was burnt last year, I will say, on the cross, so I was really looking forward to it, and it wasn't what I was expecting. It didn't live up to my expectations for it. So I'm hoping this one will, too. And like I said before, I'm glad that it's kind of being brought down to a smaller scale, just focusing on these uh, few characters with, of course, Barry, Kara, 
uh, Oliver, and then Zoe Clark and Lois, and then obviously Kate with Batwoman. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. I got to catch up on the new seasons, though. I saw the season premiere of Arrow. Well, it's only aired one episode. So that started off really solid. I know Flash has aired two. I've only seen the season premiere. That was off to a solid start as well. So hopefully it continues with as it moves along as we get to the, closer to this crossover. And uh, as it continues with uh, another casting announcement, or not casting announcement, but character announcement for Supergirls, uh, he goes, we also know that while he won't be in Elseworld, Lex Luthor will be appearing on Supergirl this season. I am super hyped about this too. Lex is my all-time favorite villain, and I can't wait to see another interpretation of him on Supergirl. I hope whoever gets cast in the role brings a similar cold, calculated performance to what Micah Rosenbaum gave us. I also think it would be super cool if he wears the Lexo suit at some point, since we've seen it on Supergirl twice now, and we've never seen Lex wear it in live action before. Plus, that makes me think even more that they are setting up for a Superman spinoff series starring Tyler as Superman, Elizabeth Tulloch as Lois Lane, and whoever gets cast as Lex. I think that is what Metropolis is being redeveloped into. Yeah, I've heard that rumor about possibly doing a Superman series, which I would love. I mean, uh, enough of the just TV series, but Superman kind of in the background. Let's get a Superman series in there with Clark, Lois, and Lex. Like, that'd be great. And I love that Lex is being introduced in the Supergirl. They teased him, name-dropped him. They brought his sister in. They have his mother in there. And as Jordan said, they tease his exosuit, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, this is awesome. So I can't wait to see that. I still got to watch the premiere of Supergirl as well. It's getting harder and harder to keep up with all these shows. I got to be on. <laughs> now with all these casting or character announcements on Supergirl, like Lex, and you got Manchester Black, who I'm looking forward to seeing. I got to catch up soon on it. But Jordan, as always, has a couple of questions to wrap up his email. He goes, as I mentioned in the last paragraph, that the Kent Farm is my favorite locale in the DC universe. So I was wondering, what are your top five favorite locales in the DC universe? Mine are number five, the Smallville Beanery. Number four, Nell Potter's House. Uh, Number three, the Talon. Number two, Smallville High School. And number one, the Kent Farm. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with um, number five. Um, this one might be a little strange, but I just like it. <laughs> There's the Iceberg Lounge. It's just a section in Gotham, of course, run by the Penguin, a nightclub. I just love the look of it of how it's looking like you're in the Arctic. In the center, there's the water with the ice, the icebergs sticking out in there. It looks best in Batman the Animated Series in the new Batman Adventures. I love how that nightclub looks. So I'm going to give that one some love, one that probably doesn't get mentioned too much. <laughs> but then number four, um, these next ones are going to be, you know, probably the standard for great DC locales, which I would are my favorites. Number four being the Mascara Paradise Island for Wonder Woman. Number three, Oa, which in the comics isn't around anymore. The Green Lanterns make their home base on the living sentient planet Mogo. <laughs> so, but uh, Mogo's cool, but this is something about Oa that I think is really special. The number two, Fortress of Solitude, of course, uh, S- Superman's home where he goes just to be with himself. I just love the ice iceberg look of it and just you know all the kryptonian like statues artifacts and just little pieces of home that superman has in there like in the animated series i love how he has almost extinct species uh being as sort of serving like a preservation for them there just really cool stuff the number one of course is going to be the bat cave and even slash wayne matter i'll I'll put both of them on there as one uh how can it not get better than the bat cave uh the layout of it all the trophies that are in there 
the super bad computer garage full of awesome Batmobiles, just the dark ambience of it. I mean, doesn't get better than that. <laughs> so that would be my number one. How about you, Dane? What are your favorites? Uh, probably number one is the Batcave. How could it not be? Uh, <laughs> uh, number two is going to be Wayne Manor in Mask of the Phantasm. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, number three is going to be the the Fortress of Solitude. Number four, Themyscira, and then number five, it's going to be. Hmm. See if only Plastic you, you Man know, had a lair. <laughs> yeah, if only Plastic Man. <laughs> you know, it'd be really cool to go to the the outer space uh, base of the Justice League. Ah, the Watchtower. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Watchtower. Right. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah, was, they have a great uh, Frappuccino machine of Flash from the Justice League animated <laughs> series. It's <laughs> to be believed. So. <laughs> and Jordan's second question goes: With the Flash adopting the term "sway" from Batman Beyond, I thought it would be fun to ask which future term for a cool in a DC universe do you prefer: sway or crash? I'm partial to crash personally because of how much I love impulse, but I love both terms. Yeah, this one's easy for me. I got to go with Sway just because I'm a huge Batman Beyond fan. And that's the future term I'm so familiar <laughs> with and reading when it comes to those like Batman Beyond series and into the comics. And then it was cool to kind of hear it in flats as Barry's daughter from the future is saying it. So I got a kick out of that. So I'm definitely going with Sway. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of figured you would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll just, uh, I will just say what you say, Tim. Which is shui. Shui. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That does it for Jordan's email. As always, he closed it saying, Klana forever. Your super friend, Jordan. Klana. Thanks, Jordan, as always, for sending us your thoughts and your reviews on DC content that, um, unfortunately, you're not able to get <laughs> to watch and uh, <laughs> get into all the time, like those Legos DC animated movies and uh, the the DC superhero girls, the ones that you mentioned. So, yeah, great to hear your takes on that. It just since I'm not able to see them, you're able to let us know how we are or how they are, <laughs> which we appreciate. You, you know, what's Smallville. Mm-hmm. Um, did Lex and Lana ever have a relationship? Yeah, that was a big theme. I think in season six. Or, so, I so, so what did people call that? Like Clex? I would think so. <laughs> Clex. It can't be Lana because. Lalana. his name. Yeah, yeah Lalana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it got to be Clex, but Yeah, Clex. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, with that, we can go ahead and get into our comic book reviews. And for this episode, it's going to be uh, just one Batman issue 57. And as always, got to give the spoiler warning out there as I'll be going into details on what happens in Batman issue 57. So for this episode, we've got to have a rating scale as always. And hmm, I was thinking, Dane, uh, classic movies and TV shows that Tim still hasn't seen. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> All right, great. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Batman issue 57 is going to wrap up this three-part story arc of Batman and the KGBs of title Beast of Burden. And this issue pretty much is all action-packed mixed in with a fairy tale story <laughs> in between takes and panels of the story. And I got to say, I really liked 
how this issue played out on both of those fronts. It begins with um, Anatoly's father reading him a story as a child. Then it goes into uh, the panels of showing of this fairy tale story called The Animals and the Pit. And uh, I should say, too, right off the bat, um, say how great the artwork is. Again, Tony Daniel kills it with his Batman and KGB KGB's fight. And the, but also, too, they got the art, artist from uh, Fables, uh, Mark Buckingham, and uh, also uh, Andrew Peaboy as the folktale artist, as a, they're both credited here in the comic. And they really capture that fairy tale storybook um, art style perfectly in this because the story deals with these animals coming together. You got a pig, a wolf, a rabbit, a squirrel, and a fox, and all coming together to walk um, on this trip to the church. <laughs> this story is based off an old um, Russian fairy tale, which I don't know, for some reason, I would try looking it up after I read the issue to see if it was an actual fairy tale. It is, but I had a tar- hard time finding it. I type in the animals in the pit on Google, and I just get references to this issue and nothing about an old fairy tale. And then I typed in, you know, animals in the pit, Russian fairy tale, and I finally got a wiki page about it. So it is an, an actual fairy tale like from like the early 1900s. So, um, so this that story deals with these animals. Like I said, uh, they come together on this trip, um, about to go to a church because the pig just wants to go there to pray to God, and then he they all fall into this pit as they see that's blocking their way in their journey to the church. They all fall in there and they're stuck. And they got nothing to eat. And then they decide, so the fox decides, hey, let's all begin singing. And whoever has the thinnest voice will eat that creature. <laughs> so the fox sings, the wolf sings, the, the pig sings. They all sing well. But the squirrel and the rabbit had the tiniest voices or the thinnest voices. And so um, they get gobbled up <laughs> by the wolf, fox, and pig. And I got to say, the artwork, again, a testament to the artists on this section here where it's the art style of these animals is all lovable. They have smiley faces, almost, you know, like Disney animated animals who are all happy and they're singing. But man, once they start chowing down on the rabbit and the hare, they turn ferocious, like their eyes turn red and their teeth start showing. <laughs> they just a great job distinguishing between the happy animals to these ferocious animals tearing up this the rabbit and the squirrel. And then the story of the parable, I should say, continues with the fox saying, hey, now we should eat the animal with the fattest voice. And that's the wolf. So the fox and the pig eat the wolf in graphic fashion. And the fox actually takes the heart and the bowels of the wolf and starts eating those. Like he says those over the course of a few days. And the pig asks, hey, why, what are you eating? Give me some. And the fox just says, oh, I'm just eating my own flesh. You should you know, tear up your belly and do the same. So the pig does that. And he killed himself, and now the fox has the pig to eat. And the story ends with um, just showing that the fox is the only one left in the pit. But does he get out? Is he in there still? We don't know, as we show the seasons go by. And again, all this is playing out um, in contrast to Batman's uh, fight with KGBs. And man, is this a brutal fight. It's just Batman going all out, KGBs going all out. I love how it begins with Batman going to the door and he just ducks his head as the bullet flies out the knob. And then he just throws a battering in the window and the fight really begins here. They just really go at it. And this again, great art by Tony Daniel showing the brutality and the action of this fight that Batman and KGBs have. And comes to a pretty brutal end here, which I know has caused some controversy online as far as uh, how Batman decides to defeat KGBs and what happens there. So, KGBs has Batman pinned down 
and Batman is grabbing his utility belt. And what he does in there, he grabs a grap, grap uh, if I could talk, he grabs his grappling hook and shoots it right in the face of KGBs and he falls to the ground. And he tells Batman, you know, my neck is broken. You need to get me help and I'll tell you who hired me to kill your boy. I love Batman's facial expression here. It's a cool look of Batman as the right side of his, uh, or I should say his left side of his cowl is all ripped up, exposing Bruce Wayne's face. And the right side is, you know, full on dark Batman cowl with the white eyes. That looks cool. So I'd love, this has caused some controversy, but this is pretty much a no nonsense Batman. Who's not having it with these villains. And I kind of like that attitude he has. It reminds me a little bit of, the version of Batman in the new Batman adventures in the animated series. who just, you know, like I said, no nonsense Batman. It was just going to take these villains down, but this one or this Batman in this issue is taking it to another level, even to a more darker place as he, but I love it. <laughs> I love Batman's response. He goes, you know, I got a bullet in my arm. My body's hurt. I got a long walk through snow and ice and I'm the world's greatest detective. I'll find out who hired you and I'll break them too. You can get your own help. <laughs> Yeah, that seems a little like a dark thing to, for Batman to do, but I buy into it in this issue for what happened to to him over the course of the short time span. Of course, first Selena leaving him, and then you know pretty much his son Dick Grayson getting shot in the in the head. And again, the issue doesn't go into how Dick Grayson's doing. I think it, they're just DC is taking into account that anyone who cares about it knows he survived, and that fallout from that is being told in the Nightwing issues, but. I still think it'd be a little nice to get more of Batman's reaction to that, how he's dealing with Dick's current state, but we still don't get too much of that. But um, this his, you know, level of darkness and lethal force, well, not lethal force, but more brutality that he's showing here is apparent to how he feels about it. But the big thing at the end is as Batman walks away from KGBs, we get uh, the next last page of panels of where we thought, KGB's father was reading um, him that's fairy tale about the animals in the pit. We actually see it's Thomas Wayne reading Bruce this story. And this is kind of up for debate, I guess, as far as who's the how this is playing out, because obviously Thomas Wayne is reading it to Bruce because we see the book in his hand. It says the animals and the pit. But in the first opening page, as we see KGB's father reading it, we don't actually see the same cover or the title on the book he's reading. It's, you know, not really super zoomed into the cover of the book to make out, but it's definitely not the same as the one Thomas Wayne's reading to Bruce. So I'm under the, you can take it different ways. You can take it that, you know, both Batman and KGBs are being read this story. And now it's, you know, implying that they're both coming to a blows and kind of having, you know, vastly different upbringings from their fathers. But, being told similar stories and now they're coming to blows together or you could take it, which I'm kind of leaning towards that KGB's father was reading him a totally different story. And it kind of threw you off at the beginning, making you think he was telling it to KGB's when in fact it was Thomas Wayne telling it to Bruce and Bruce was the only one being told that story, maybe kind of going into tying into the ferocity he's showing in this issue, taking down the KGB's here. And even Thomas Wayne says, you know, you know, I don't know why you love this book, son, <laughs> but that's the case. And the issue ends with uh, Bruce telling Thomas, you know, he doesn't want to be alone. And Thomas Wayne just sits in the chair as Bruce falls asleep as a little kid. So um, I really enjoyed this issue. It was a really cool fight between Batman and KGBs. 
And I just love Batman's no-nonsense attitude here. And I think it fits into the story that Tom King's trying to tell here with the state of Bruce and how he's feeling and the state of mind he's in. And uh, paralleling that into that uh, fairy tale <laughs> story with the different art made for a very entertaining issue. So I'm going to give this one four out of five classic movies and TV show that Tim still hasn't seen but needs to. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it for the comic book reviews. Um, one thing I got to mention, speaking of uh, Dick Grayson and what happened to him in the story about getting shot and how that story is continuing in the Nightwing comics. Did you hear the latest thing going on with him, Dane? Did you happen to catch that at all on social media? No, no, I haven't. What? What's so it's one on? of those. It's not a big deal, but it's just something that makes you roll your eyes and it's like, oh, how long are they going to do with that? He's not going by Dick anymore. His new name is Rick Grayson. R I C. So it was like, uh, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it was like, well, I guess I people should... named Richard can go, can either be called Dick or they can be called Richard or they can be called Rick or they can yeah. be called Richie. <laughs> it's just like one of those things. I, I mean, again, I haven't read the issue, so I can't really comment on it. Maybe there is a good story reason. I'm the Again, we're talking about the state of mind Bruce is in here, what's going on in his state of mind after going through that dramatic experience. But it just seems like, some that DC's trying to do to get, you know, change the character up even more, but eventually we'll know he'll go back to being Dick and Richard Grayson <laughs> at some point. So it is one of those things like, yeah, this is trying to do something to shake it up for the sake of shaking up, I feel. But again, I can't comment fully on it because I haven't read it. So it's just, it was just funny to me to think that that got such big traction amongst the Batman and DC comics community about Dick now being Rick Grayson. <laughs> but I'll doubt I'll ever call him that, no matter how long it lasts. It's always yeah. going to be Dick Grayson. So. <laughs> so, Tim, are you going to go from? Are, are, are you from now on going to go as Timothy? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, there's <laughs> only a few people who can call me Timothy. That's like my two aunts. They're the only ones who <laughs> do, and you know, I'll respect that. <laughs> they, they call me that forever. <laughs> or maybe for as long as Dick calls himself Rick, you have to call yourself Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> No, because who knows how long that'll last. <laughs> Just going to be Tim. <laughs> or Timmy. Timmy. Uh, Timmy's yeah. even worse than Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that only lasts when you're a little kid. <laughs> it's like uh, uh, Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what his, his real name is? It's Jimothy. <laughs> Jimothy. Not James. <laughs> it's Jimothy. <laughs> See, Jimmy sounds better than Timmy for some reason to me. Yeah, but. yeah. Was, I don't know. <laughs> like, I you can be called uh, that still as an adult, I think. <laughs> but not Timmy. Yeah. But with that, that's going to do it for this episode. So, as always, I'll throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. Okay, just go over to thebatmanuniverse.net, facebook.com, slash thebatmanuniverse. Uh, the Twitter handle's at batmanuniverse. The show's Twitter handle's at batfanspodcast. Tim's Twitter handle's at timg. Timmy G <laughs> I'm not changing my Twitter handle to Timmy G <laughs> uh, Tim G 311 and mine is at Dane Says Banana uh, and you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com so with that like we say at the end of every single episode we love each and every one of you with all of our hearts no matter what names we have <laughs> how strange they sound sometimes <laughs> we'll see you guys next time see you next time everybody <laughs> <laughs>